0: Here is another article about millennials. They have diminishing opinions about businesses. The study says millennials are increasingly skeptical of businesses' motives and impact on society, and that companies need to take these attitudes seriously if they don't want to miss out on the younger generation's potential as consumers and or employees. Businesses have to make it better for the employees and improve the environment more than they have to generate a profit.
1: According to millennials, well, I'd just like to go on record saying that according to this study, millennials are born from 1983 to 1994, so I am not part of it.
2: Welcome. All right, welcome back to Touchpoint.
1: This is episode number 128. I am one half of the co-hosting duo of Reed Smith and Chris Boyer, and Chris is on the other side of the microphone. That's right. I guess that makes me the other half of that co-hosting duo. That was a terrible explanation because a duo, by definition, is two. For me to say I'm one half of a... Anyway, that was, that was terrible. To Even to
0: call yourself a co-host implies that there's another host. <laughs> right.
1: Right. All that to say, we're not going to edit any of that out because we're 128 episodes in. Good to be back for another week. Uh, it's good to be in Nashville still. And I'm recording actually from my office. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about always on marketing. And uh, I'm gonna let everybody kind of ponder that for just a second. Always on marketing, because it may not be what you think It's like the Princess Bride. I'm not sure that word means what you think it means. But more on that in a minute. Let's take a quick break and uh, we'll be right back.
2: Using powerful AI-driven algorithms, Loyal's Guide helps patients along every step of their journey, from choosing a doctor and finding the nearest location to signing up for an event or clinical trial. Whether you are using Guide's chatbot, live chat, or the powerful combination of both, Loyal's engaging platform integrates seamlessly into your system, maximizes efficiency, and improves patients' digital experience. To learn more or schedule a demo, visit them online at loyalhealth.com forward slash demo. That is loyalhealth.com forward slash demo.
0: So always on marketing, as you alluded to before the bump, uh, may not be exactly what you think it means and Reed, I think that the very first time I heard the term always on marketing happened a couple of years ago
1: during the Super Bowl. R- remember that? It was in New Orleans, right? Was that where the Super Bowl was? It was the Ravens in the 49ers. The Ravens won February the third, 2013, MVP Joe Flacco. Halftime show anybody? Beyonce featuring Destiny's Child. Probably the last time they played together. Has absolutely nothing to do with any of this, but the power did go out in the Superdome, right? And so what happened? Right away
0: on social media, I remember, Oreo pushed out an ad that says you could still dunk in the dark. That's and right. the internet went crazy.
1: It was amazing, amazing win for them. And that folks is always on marketing, right? No. Actually, no, it's not. That actually is what they
0: call real-time marketing, but that is when the term always-on marketing actually started to, to gain traction. It was a mistaken uh, application of that term always-on. Today, when we get into always-on marketing, and we have a great interview later on in this episode where we're talking to someone who's actually doing it, a health system. I, as always, I think it's best for us to kind of redefine the term always-on marketing so we can
1: all understand where we're at. Yeah, let's do that. So always-on marketing, or AOM, like we need another... Acronym. Some people may call it life cycle marketing, and that's defined as a planned approach to scheduling and optimizing continuous marketing activities which support customer acquisition and retention. These activities aim to maximize visibility and persuasion through the customer life cycle. You're clearly reading
0: a quote from an article by a guy who's actually a professor. He teaches digital marketing. His name is Dr. Dave Chaffee. He wrote an article about always on marketing, which I think best sums up what at least from, from our perspective defines what always on marketing is. So this is opposed to those campaigns that we traditionally do that go out in the market for like 30, 60, 90 days, whatever it might be as the title implies. And as the description States It is an approach that continually supports these activities over a period of time. There are a couple of key activities that are considered always on in the toolkit, in the marketer's toolkit, when we start to talk about always on. And they just happen to be
1: digital, right, Reed, As always, if it's important, it's probably digital. No bias there. (laughs) No, no. I mean, how else can you always be on if it's not digital? That just implies it, right? Well, I guess you can hire people and just, you know, staff them 24 by 7. (laughs) Is the guy with the sign like flipping the sign on the corner? Is that always on? It probably, actually, (laughs) it probably is, right? That is
0: maybe characterized as an always on activity. But the activities specifically that people associate with always on are well, the first is paid and natural search marketing, pay per click. Even display advertising can be part of that to increase visibility as visitors start to search for your product or your service. And they could do that, as you know,
1: anytime, 24 by 7, seven days a week, every day of the year, right? Sure. I mean, there's obviously some natural constraints there with maybe budget. You know, if it's, so if it's super high intensity from the search term perspective, you know, there's a chance obviously your budget plays out halfway through the day. And they're not going to find it. But the point being is, you know, it's running without you manually pushing and pulling a lot of levers. And so when people want to find it on their terms, which I think is an important piece here, uh, they can find it. Secondly, social media and influence marketing to encourage word of mouth recommendations and reviews is another one we think of a lot. And that makes sense. People tend to turn to social media for a number of reasons.
0: One of them is to understand how other people are reacting or engaging with a product or a service and get their interpretation of that, Uh, you know, that online word of mouth or whatever it might be. And then that naturally falls into reputation management. Seeing the reviews, you know, Amazon has made reviews that much more prevalent in our lives. So therefore, that's a big part of that. The last piece where it gets a little bit more sophisticated is involving marketing automation and CRM. Those technologies or systems allow you to create persuasive content marketing throughout the Customer journeys. That that includes email marketing, uh, maybe text message marketing, push notifications, and even on-site personalization and off-site retargeting. All of those start to become more sophisticated activities around always-on marketing.
1: And I'm asking a stupid question. I probably should know the answer to this. Off-site retargeting, that's different than just retargeting? On-site personalization means on your own. Owned properties, sure, and then off-site retargeting. But retargeting, by definition, is off-site, right? Yeah, assumptively. And per- personalization to some degree is on-site. Okay, sorry, I am getting I'm getting sidetracked here, but <laughs> no, that that does make sense. And I think you know the marketing automation CRM techniques. That's an interesting one that I think again takes into account something that's really important here, which we can move into now, which is kind of the features of always-on marketing. Mm-hmm. The first one that they outline is that it's pulled from the, from the consumer. So harken back to what we just talked about with the CRM techniques, the personalization, the retargeting. So we're pulling information from the consumer, listening and understanding the rhythms of different types of uh, consumers based on previous searches or you know, site activity, social activity, things like that. You're
0: listening in for clues into what they're interested in in your product or your service, uh, but what you're doing is you're kind of taking a pulse of what they want and then developing systems, digital systems in particular, to help them engage and learn more and ultimately select your product or your service. People just don't have heart problems in the month of February. (laughs) We like to target around the month of February because it's heart month. But people can have heart conditions all throughout the year. or And subsequently, people can also have breast cancer conditions throughout the year. The whole point of Always On is you're developing these systems so that when people start down that path to search for things, you're kind of building a system so that they could start to engage with you at that point in time. The other feature then leads to the anticipatory piece of this. It hinges on a deep understanding of consumer behavior, the nuances, the similarities, and it allows you to start to build different types of journeys to help them find your products and services easier and make that selection.
1: So I've got a controversial question. Controversial may be a little strong. I'm not sure it's that, that controversial, but so do we move away from awareness months there's only so many dollars to go around, so can we afford to not do heart stuff in February, breast stuff in October, lung in November, prostate in September? You know what? You know, all the months, and so you find the ones that that coincide with you know your strategic goals optimally. Uh, I mean, you certainly want to take advantage of the wave or the swell of activity around those things. Absolutely, you do. There's a fine line then, you know, of like, how do we spend our dollars for always on versus awareness or, you know, more campaign driven well, and you want to take that into account as you start to plan these always-on strategies. So
0: let's say, for example, we as a health system, we want to create a strategy around or a, but an always-on marketing effort around helping people identify when they might need to see a cardiologist. You you want to look over the entire year or as a plan for an always-on approach, realizing that in the month of February, you might want to do more activities and you probably are going to spend a little bit more on paid search at that time because more people are in the market at that time.
1: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense because again this is not real time it's it's always on. So there are three main phases typically that you go through when you start to plan
0: and always on marketing effort. The first is planning. I guess with every effort, you probably should start with planning. But I've known in some hospitals that you don't start with planning. But in this case, planning is important because you really want to develop an understanding of your audience, their needs, and how your services support those needs and ultimately, how you can actually measure the effectiveness of your efforts. And what I mean by effectiveness of efforts is, how do you get them to actually do the things you want them to do with you're always on effort?
1: Yeah, which, you know, is not earth shattering. You'd want to do some sort of planning in any kind of campaign development or, or marketing strategy. You know, phase two, uh, investing. So you have to not only understand kind of what your, uh, I guess, overhead would be here. Um, so what tools... Technology systems, you know what? What do do you need to accomplish this? But you've also got to anticipate, you know, what it's going to take that the cost, if you will, what's going to take to reach those markets. That's not always the most straightforward thing. There are uh, tools out there. Uh, Google obviously has some planning tools that are available. You can use some, you know, ad modules in the social environment, Facebook or otherwise, uh, Twitter to kind of, you know, determine some of that. But that's a moving number. And again, it throttles up and down depending on the
0: seasonality. And the other thing to think about too is right if you're doing an always-on primary care campaign, you might want to shift for various different seasons uh, the impetus or the, the focus of your efforts. But ultimately, what you're still doing is you're still driving awareness to uh, allow people to help select your primary care doc- care physicians. If in the fall, you want to talk about back-to-school physicals, and if in the spring, you want to talk about you know allergies or what have you, but still, it's always an approach to driving people through this always-on effort the last phase read is optimizing really where you develop that hypothesis of when we do this, we're going to go out and test it with always on marketing. You you should always come back to it and running it testing it, optimizing it, and continually tweaking it. This is really where we get into A-B testing. A-B testing and always on is kind of the second nature of always on. So you want to go out in the market and maybe start testing against um, these particular keywords to drive people to a particular campaign or to a particular effort or whatever. And then you want to test it. And then after you do your testing, you want to maybe throttle a different thing and test somewhere else. Those are the three main phases of always on marketing. As we talk about this, one of the things that people are asking, one of the things they're they're thinking about is, how do you measure and optimize for your always-on efforts? And I think we could talk about that, but maybe we should do that right after this break.
2: You care about simplifying the way your healthcare organization does business, and so do we. At Scorpion, our mission is to empower our clients to focus on things that really matter, by giving them a simple, powerful, effective suite of marketing solutions for their healthcare digital presence. To learn more, visit us online at scorpion.co.
1: All right, so before we went to the break, you talked about measurement. So it's great that you know we we know what it is. We want to do it. We've we've planned. We've we've optimized the best we can. All that kind of stuff. You know, ultimately, just like everything else, we're, our feet are being held to the fire, and we've got to understand well what are we getting out of this, right? So you you found a um, a cool article here called Four Tips for Measuring the Always On Consumer." Um, matter of fact, you're so good you found more than four tips in the article. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we'll have a link to the article in the show notes. But I think these these are interesting interesting things, and so we'll we'll kind of rattle through some of these. So first one, you know use tools and techniques to understand all aspects of your marketing. you know try to ramp up your sophistication, if you will, uh, as best you can.
0: And related to that, here's where the other tips come in right it's developing ways to measure across the entire customer journey so here now you're not just measuring like paid search for example you could be measuring paid search leading to a website that leads to maybe an email that leads to retargeting etc now what you're doing is you're kind of doing multiple different touch points across the entire customer journey and measuring them together in an
1: always-on effort The next thing that we kind of touch on here is developing a multi-touch attribution strategy, not last touch
0: typically what we do when we think about always on and even some of the earlier stages when we were doing always on you would drive you would use pay-per-click for example to drive people to a website to get them to schedule appointments for example a last touch would say well they the last thing they did before they hit the the schedule appointment button is they came from your paid search ad so you would give that attribution to them last touch now when you're talking about these multiple different touch points that you're measuring you start to put those together and say, okay, this is a multi-touch attribution. If we throttle social media up doing A-B testing and we do more social media, it might actually have a net lift for people to achieve that end goal of making an appointment, even though that may not be the last thing they do before they make the appointment. So now you're starting to get more sophisticated with your measurement.
1: I mean, it's like when we attribute uh, circumcisions to a direct mail campaign about women's health. Not really, but I've seen that. Sorry, that's a whole nother soapbox around CRM attribution. But in any case, back to the topic at hand. No, that does. That, that does make sense. And, and I think, you know, this next point, which is obviously purely about measurement, but, you know, looking at the broader piece of the equation. So, you know, how effective is PPC overall and narrow? So, I mean, we talk about being specific in what we're doing and so this is looking at you know PPC, but also PPC as it relates to certain campaigns that you're running, or you know certain service line or things like that. So a broad and narrow path.
0: Yeah, what's interesting about that, Reid, is that if you take pay per click for an example, you want to know the overall general impact pay per click has, its role in always on. And spoiler alert, it has a pretty higher role in always on. Efforts. But the reason why you want to do that, and and you want to do that for all your various different types of channels that you're using, is because you want to start to develop the Lego building blocks so that the next time you're faced with building another always on campaign for, let's say, a new service line, a new offering, a new whatever it might be, you have enough knowledge about how that channel works that you can predict if I do pay per click and social media and email and et cetera, I'm going to generally get to this kind of outcome that gives you a great hypothesis. The narrowness allows you to see how that actual channel works within that specific always on effort.
1: I think this next one is interesting because we we like to frown upon some of these folks. But anyway, partnering with large or larger data companies like Facebook and Google to provide access to large amounts of data as well as leveraging like uh, their AI learnings and things like that. That may freak people out, and we don't want to publicize that too much, that we're partnering with Facebook, but they have a lot of data, right? Through their systems, they're running campaigns that are related
0: to orthopedics or cardiac or uh, having a baby, whatever it might be. And so they have these vast data sets, and they're using those machine learnings and AI algorithms to help you tweak and optimize your own campaigns and make them more effective so in effect yeah it it is like you're partnering with the devil so to speak depending on your perspective of google or facebook but in other cases what you're doing is by partnering with them is you're becoming more effective and efficient with your advertising because
1: you're learning from them from their learnings yeah absolutely you can kind of get to a conclusion a little bit quicker maybe in some cases Now, this next one I really like, which is preparing for a post-cookie world. Can you imagine a post-cookie world? But with data privacy the way it is, security and the emphasis on that of what it is, I mean, we're probably going to get there, right? Or we've got to get there at some point, but this uh, post-cookie world. But you've got to, in turn, seek ways to have people opt in or, or gain that permission to gain that same data and i think that's where hospitals and health systems actually excel people trust us
0: more to do holistic things with their data they 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 will tend to give up more information to us if they believe in the in the value and the promise of our mission in that we're there to help them seek out care in a much more better effective way anytime you're giving up that data privacy and security with a business you're entering into a contract with them and in this day and age the but consumer me you whoever we have a higher degree of threshold before we give up that data whatever we can do to get them to opt in and allow them to engage with us and nurture with, nurture them in an effective way that's going to make it so much more effective as data privacy takes over and prevents us from retargeting them what's interesting too i found another article about always on marketing they actually did a survey to find out the percentage of leaders who optimized Individual channels using this concept of continuous optimization through structured text. Let's just go through the actual percentage. So, for websites on a desktop experience, 32% of businesses right now are optimizing those channels and also introducing personalization to support always on.
1: Desktops, what? Boring. Do people use desktops? No, I'm kidding. I'm using a desktop right this minute. But I think what's telling, though, is the next one, mobile or mobile sites and or apps is only 20%. For now,
0: right? We'll see in three years that that'll probably have flipped. If landing pages, which we always think about when we think about marketing campaigns, 32%. Email marketing. Forty
1: percent of people use email marketing for personalization and optimization. That's an easy one though, because that was right. I mean, that was the first opportunity, right, to do a lot of this in most cases, because you know people signed up for constant contact or Mailchimp or whatever it was. You know, kind of back in the day. So that was kind of that first iteration of personalization in most cases. Uh, social media marketing, another one. of people
0: are doing social media marketing, personalization and optimization. 32% in content marketing. I think content marketing is another one of those pieces of always on that wasn't stated above, but I think becomes very important as we become more sophisticated with content marketing. So no surprise, we're using content marketing in a personalized, optimized
1: way. That's interesting to me. That's higher than I thought it would have been. Because not many people are doing it. I mean, people aren't doing content marketing just in general, in my opinion, in a lot of cases. And the last one being paid digital media at only 31%, I thought that would have been higher. You know, the social media marketing at 35%, email marketing 40%, you know, even the landing pages, I I would have assumed mobile would have been higher than it is, and I would assume paid digital media would have been higher. But
0: yeah, so lastly, let's just touch on really quickly how... Adopting always-on actually dr- dramatically changes the way marketing teams work. Have you ever heard of the term performance marketing, Read Performance marketing. Is that just where you uh, measure? <laughs> in effect, right? <laughs> performance marketing is a c- comprehensive term that really refers to online marketing and advertising programs in which marketing companies' advertisers are paid when a specific action is completed such as a sale, lead or click. It's really driving towards focusing on the performance of your marketing. In the description I said that's really about like how agencies are, you know, paid, they're paid by performance, so to speak. In healthcare marketing organizations, hospital marketing organizations today, I have heard performance marketing used quite frequently as a way to measure the effectiveness of those internal teams. If you think about it, it makes sense to incent marketers towards their performance sure, of their activities. Sure, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. But when we move from an external to an internal world, that may get a little tricky because it's not like you're going to pay your internal marketers less if they, their marketing doesn't perform.
1: Man. Could you imagine what if you had like a minimal base salary and then you had like this it really wouldn't be commission. I don't guess but some sort of a incentive-based package on how well the marketing activities performed. Whoa, people would get real good at measurement real fast.
0: (laughs) Yes, they would. Yes, they would. But I mean I think that the spirit of performance met, performance marketing is there. Maybe it's not based on their the you know how they how you're going to compensate your marketing professionals but definitely focusing more on performance. The other thing is this concept of agile marketing, agile marketing teams.
1: Well, I mean you think of agile as in a um, six sigma or whatever it is, you know that's the way that, you know, your mind typically goes when you hear about agile, right? It's more of a manufacturing process. Absolutely. But in this
0: case, agile marketing refers to developing smaller teams of talented marketing professionals who work together and they also are very, very fast. So that's the spirit of agile. They possess skills across multiple functions. And by the way, they're usually cross functional. So you have internal people as well as external people, you know, in that kind of environment they often get co-located into uh either a war room or these things called pods or oh, tribes or whatever
1: pods isn't that a storage thing <laughs> yeah
0: but but in the case of the the concept here is that you that you put all of these people that work on multiple things together to work on a particular type of campaign together right so you have a marketer and you have maybe a developer and you have a creative person and you have a content writer and they're always focusing on the relentless pursuit of developing these quick turnaround experiments to create real bottom line impact. That's what agile, the concept of agile marketing is. And I know we should probably do a whole episode on that.
1: We, we should. We should talk about agile and kind of, you know, sprints, as it, if you will. You know, they're kind of part of that uh, or in the spirit of that. So, yeah, that would be actually a good one. But
0: often the t- concept of agile marketing, performance marketing, those those together are talked about a lot with this concept of always-on marketing. But that really begs the question, Read, which is really the title of today's episode,
1: are marketing campaigns really dead? Are they over? As we know them, yes. I think so. I think w- what you'll see is a blend of this idea that you have one campaign for the entire budget cycle, whatever that is. And it's just throttling up and throttling down based on what you're learning from consumers, based on time of year. It's kind of a hybrid of that you know, awareness month type stuff and the campaigns that we've historically known to make sure that we're there at all times uh, when people are looking for us. Yeah,
0: I think you're right. And you don't suddenly just wake up one day and b- become an always-on marketing team. You evolve towards that. In the interview we're about to play, Vanessa Hughes from Essentia Health here in, in in Minnesota, she actually outlines her path or her, her organization's path towards developing an always-on approach for their digital marketing efforts. And she even outlines a really nice framework. So why don't we uh, take a pause here and uh, listen to her
2: right after this break. Are you struggling with online reputation management? Binary Health Analytics provides healthcare systems, hospitals, and physician practices a complete view into managing patient feedback from online ratings and reviews, and especially surveys. It continuously mines feedback for sediment uncovering timely and actionable insights. Its management tools help turn these insights into an opportunity to increase patient engagement, manage reputation, and improve patient experience. To learn more about binary health analytics, visit Binary Fountain online at binaryfountain.com. That is binaryfountain.com.
0: Welcome back to the Ask the Expert section of the podcast, and today I am talking with a dear friend of mine, uh, someone I've known for a number of number of years now, Vanessa Hughes. Vanessa, welcome to the show.
3: Hey, Chris. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited and so touched that you called me a dear friend.
0: Well, I, f- I find that to be so. I mean, you and I have not only presented together, we've collaborated together. There's a lot of things that we've done together. So, I mean, what else? You know, that makes us Good friends.
3: I know, like-minded individuals. Yeah, we're in a good spot.
0: Before we jump into the topic, some people listening in may not know about you. Can you give a little bit of your history, your background?
3: Yeah, I'd love to. Thanks, Chris. So as Chris said, I'm Vanessa Hughes. I'm the digital marketing manager at Essentia Health, which is a health system in the upper Midwest. I've been there about seven years, but I'm no stranger to digital. I've been in this area just over 10 years, coming from a higher ed right before that. At Essentia... I currently lead the planning and growth of digital marketing strategies, online advertising, listings and reputation management, CRM, digital analytics and reporting, marketing automation, and lastly, the newest addition, our website, essentialhealth.org.
0: Wow. So you got all of the digital under you.
3: Yeah, pretty big catch-all.
0: You and I were kind of trading some text messages, and we were talking a little bit about some of the changes that are happening with digital, sort of what we lovingly refer to as old-school digital versus sort of the (laughs) newer mindset of digital. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about how you've seen digital
3: evolve. When I think of old-school digital, I more or less define that as taking online tactics and fitting them into the traditional campaign model. So I have a campaign that I'm thinking of and my channels include, you know, social advertising, search advertising, radio billboards. I'm still packaging that together in a 12-week sprint.
0: It's almost like marketing managers have like a little menu and they just say, okay, Facebook advertising, check, Google advertising, blah, blah, blah. Is that kind of what you mean?
3: Yes. Our menu expanded, if you will, to the internet. and But it still was more or less checking the box on, yep, I've got my Facebook. Yep, I've got my search. Yep, I have my display. And that gets coupled and packaged up into these larger campaign sprints that are very short durations of time. And we always think of them and package them up that way specifically. When we think campaign, we think short sprint and managing your flight schedules. But they're always a pretty defined, finite period of time.
0: And then at the end of this finite period of time, you assess, you know, all the work that you did, you track and you say, well, over these 90 days, we drove X number of patients to the health system and we got this ROI.
3: I would say if you're lucky, old school digital, in my opinion, still included reporting at the top of the funnel, things like impressions, clicks, click through rate, downloads, if you were lucky to have something transaction like in that manner. I think old school digital didn't get into deep analytics reporting and ROI. And we've evolved significantly since then
0: tell us a little bit about that, because that's really the focus of what we're going to be talking about today, this newer model of digital. I know that healthcare is traditionally, you know, years behind other industries. What kind of tipped the scale towards this newer model? And then let's start to define what that newer model is to you.
3: I think for me, there were a lot of initiatives, if you will, coming together simultaneously for me at Essentia. The organization realized that we need to really focus on the online patient experience and what that means, and at the time that included a wide array of things: online listings, you know, reputation management. We need to know what people are saying about us. Um, social media, building a new website, search advertising or online advertising as a as a whole. You know, our My or Epic patient portal product. You know, all that was coming together into focus at one time, and what we realized very quickly was so much of what we were doing, online listings management, reputation management, building a new website leads to better SEO, search advertising. We were focused on what I realized retrospectively was our new front door, and that's Google. So when I realized that and the importance of that, everything kind of blew up from there, more or less. Let's just pick on Google because they have 90% or whatever of the search engine market share at this point. So we'll pick on Google. If they're a new front door, we understand that consumers, it's second nature to use search engines for pretty much everything. And healthcare is really no exception. Google receives somewhere in the realm of over 60,000 searches a second. Wow. You know, And we know that healthcare is a really big part of that. One in 20, I believe, is the latest I've seen. Google searches are healthcare related, focused on things like treatments, procedures, conditions, and symptoms. We have to be there. And it's even more competitive to be in that space, be above the fold, have a good presence on mobile than it's ever been before.
0: That's so true. And, and kind of what you're saying is now that Google is sort of an integral part of our life. I mean, it's something that we do so much that we don't even realize we're doing it anymore or the mere fact, I guess Google in this case would be the transient verb of Googling, right? Because just searching for things, using the internet to go search for things that has become part of the overall experience. Are you saying that that has become your digital door strategy or digital front door strategy? Mm -hmm.
3: It really has for a number of reasons. Cause one of the other things that I realize is first and foremost, if you're not on the first page of results or above the fold, you might as well not exist. Add to that from let's say an online listings perspective or maps, Google maps standpoint, many organizations are represented there and may or may not being given patients incorrect information as a consumer. I have a tendency to blame the organization for that, and not necessarily Google for scraping all of that data and serving it up.
0: Yeah, Google's just sharing information about your organization. It's not Google's fault. They're they're just passively part of this whole experience. It's really your data that needs to be cleaned.
3: Well, maybe, but <laughs> may, I'm being, maybe, I'm, being, maybe not. I'm joking
0: here, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> As digital marketers, we know it's actually mu- that much more complex, right? There's it's not just your data that you own; it's data from multiple different places.
3: Yes, yeah. So Google scrapes, you know, data from so many different sources to try to verify what's true and what's what isn't true. So they're not necessarily using what we would all maybe consider of our as our source of truth, like our website, for example, as how to get a hold of us. They're taking in data sources from hundreds of different sources and bringing it all together to say, yep, I think all of these more or less agree that this is the phone number for the internal medicine department in Duluth, Minnesota, whether or not that's true.
0: Which leads us to this term that I hear, I'm hear, i hearing a lot lately, which is called Always On Marketing. How do you define what that means?
3: I think in its most basic sense, how I think of Always On Marketing is breaking away from this idea that campaigns run for defined sprints of time. I can't really hope that a woman realizes she's pregnant within the 12 weeks that I'm running an obstetrics campaign and that she finds me. I just can't bank on that for many logical and rational reasons, but also because you're severely limiting your overall opportunity. So your audience, you've already limited them and their ability to engage with you or convert to that window of time. And if we look back again to Google being our front door, we know that people are searching for us 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, actually raising their hands and saying, hey, I need what you have to offer. We can't afford to not be there in those search moments. That kind of started you
0: down this path of an always-on Uh, approach. So how did you begin that? How did you start to structure that?
3: We, again, realizing that Google's our front door and it's so competitive to be there, the real estate um, is difficult to come by. We knew that we wanted to start our always on endeavor, focusing on search as our primary channel to start with. We started to evaluate if we're going to do this, if we're going to focus on having search ads in market all the time, 24-7, 365, where do we start? How do we decide what service lines make the most sense? What's the right approach? What we did is we created more or less an assessment that we put all of our service lines through. It was essentially a four-factor approach. We looked at Four key indicators. First and foremost was access. Can we actually take patients (laughs) and make appointments for them?
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's a really good start. It's it's
3: not always a question that people ask. (laughs) So that's where we had to start. Can we afford to turn on the marketing faucet here? Secondarily, does the service line make money? Because let's be honest, not all of them do. And in some cases, that's okay. If your objective, let's say, is to promote primary care, which we define as family medicine, internal medicine, pediatrics, you know, that's not a huge revenue generator, but that's not our objective for being in the game for primary care. Financial outcomes, you know, were part of our analysis at a minimum, even if we had to adjust for varying objectives around something like primary care. Uh, The third was keyword search volume. We need to know what are people actually looking for and want to find in our specific geographies. We can take appointments. It can make money. But if consumers aren't really looking for it in a way that substantiates the investment, then it really doesn't make sense for us to be there. And then the fourth factor was opportunity as defined by our CRM. I looked at all of our service lines. And I mean the royal we, just if I ever say that, (laughs) my team at Essentia, we looked at this as, as a group and all of our service lines and said, what volume of our current patients are actually going to need this service in the next 12 to 18 months? And we ranked all of those numbers. And then what are the volume of prospects in our markets that are going to need these services in the next 12 to 18 months? And then we ranked those numbers accordingly. So we ended up with a very colorful grid where we weighted the various factors and came out with the service lines that we were going to start with and then phased them in over a 12-month period of time.
0: The way you describe that, Vanessa, I mean, that's so straightforward, so simple.
3: It feels very logical, yes. It's so logical, yes. right?
0: It's so simplistic. So I am sure you had no challenges doing that, right? I mean you just went back to the service line and said, I'm, you know,
3: I said, Oh yeah, you, you, you did on the list. Right. <laughs>
0: Clearly there are probably challenges when you start to impose this in the organization, right? Did what tell us a little bit about that?
3: At first, even presenting our approach within the department was kind of a good sniff test, if you will, because what I find pretty often is physicians and even service line leaders and managers, data makes sense to them if presented in the right way. Although you're still going to get the hand raises that said, I need my billboard, or when I Google this, we didn't come up, why is that? Which is also, if I can add, one of the other reasons to do an always-on search um, effort over 12-month periods of time. They kind of get it. They get the methodology behind it. It was generally well-received because the intention behind the exercise was pretty clear. You know, we want to be responsible about our budget and we want to reach consumers where they are when they want to be reached. So all of the dot connecting makes a lot of sense. Now where the rubber hits the road is this isn't inexpensive to do.
0: Well tell us about that. I mean when you when you compare it to campaign based marketing, did you find that this is, even though you're always on, you're in market, you know, 365 days a year, was your overall expenses dramatically reduced from a digital perspective?
3: I should maybe qualify it by saying it looks expensive on paper as an overall dollar amount. What's important contextually, right, is that mass media costs are also exorbitant. And you don't necessarily know what you're getting out of them. So what we're sort of getting better at, I would say, internally is framing that up in the right way because what i have found is that having a discussion about let's pick on billboards for a second it feels like it's the cost of doing business right like if you exist as an organization with any amount of money you have a billboard no matter what and we sort of we sort of get to ignore the investment piece of it because it's an irritating detail but with digital I find that it's much more highly scrutinized for many reasons. One, on paper, it looks expensive. And two, because there's proof in the pudding, right? Like we know. got measurement. Yes, we know what it gets. And that's another really important point to why we started with search. Because in our, we'll call them old school digital days, we employed many channels in the menu, search, display, um, social. But we always measured what channel was performing best, which channel really brought home the bacon. And spoiler alert, hands down, every time it's searched, 99% of the conversions come through on search. So that was another easy, let's just use air quotes there, justification for going this route and starting with search as we build our foundation for always on, because we know it works.
0: It converts the final attribution or the last attribution that you can assign to paid search is a converter as opposed to everything else. I understand that. That that totally makes sense. And I've seen that too, from my experience, but you, you're kind of alluding to that you started with search. Are you expanding this now? Are you expanding it to other digital channels? And tell us about that.
3: I think that now that we're in, as far as we are, we've been doing this, um, now a full about a full 12 month span of time so we're really a year in at this point point. and all of our campaigns have positive ROI across the board even primary care which is surprising for a lot of reasons but they're all we all have po- we have positive ROI across the board we've been very very happy with the results which is why it's been easier it's still not easy but easier as we go into year 2 To make a case for doing it this way. To get at your question, yes, there has been discussion about expanding this into other channels. And what I like about it is sort of twofold. I'm skeptical, naturally, of other channels like social and display based on your objective. Your your objective is to convert patients to sell appointments, which is what we sell In essence, I would never go to those channels traditionally first. What you mentioned about last touch is what kind of makes me think about this and potentially where you're going with it, but I could be making this up. We focus on last touch right now. And I'm actually okay with that because I think getting too into the weeds about last versus first versus whatever point in the journey they're at. I don't know that I've at least seen a use case for what you even have will do with that particular information if you could get it in the right way. I look at all of this as building a house, essentially. So search is my foundation. I often hear display is always a good add-on to a campaign or halo effect. I'm sort of a self-proclaimed digital marketing ROI purist, if you will. I
0: love that about you, by the way. <laughs> yeah.
3: I don't like to think it's because I'm black. I'm black and white, but I just, you know, I want I want the proof to be there in the pudding. So what I like about this idea is that I know more or less what my baseline is. I have enough data at this point to establish how we've performed month over month just employing this specific strategy. I feel very comfortable now to be able to layer on additional channels in a methodical sort of phased-in approach and then see what that does because I could potentially quantify lift even if it drives to search. So if I layer in display and some sort of strategy around display, let's just use that as an example, I can not necessarily... In black and white terms, but I can start to draw some conclusions about what entering additional channels into the market actually does overall and maybe how it impacts some of my other channels and market.
0: It's almost like you have now additional variables to test against, right? Exactly. Um, so as you start to layer these pieces in, you could say, well, I'm going to ratchet up a little display here, a little social here, and then basically quantifying the ported halo effect that we're talking about.
3: That's the best part of being in digital marketing today. Let's call it new digital marketing, or maybe you and I'll come up with a new coined term. Maybe that's just not fancy enough for us. The scientific sort of experimental approach that you get to take to what was previously thought of as more of an artistic, visually artistic career choice or area, you know, marketing was so much more visual in its creativity. And now I feel like the shift, at least for me, has been it's much more creative from the data side of it. The data is where we get to be creative and what we do with it.
0: We're becoming like data scientists. So.
3: Yeah, yeah.
0: And I think that that's the beauty. I've always, you and I are uh, of the same ilk here because we do like that. That's like kind of to us, that's the creativity. Is
3: We're it? a fan of numbers. Yeah, how do you yeah. make
0: the results? I think we're, I'd say we'd be more a fan of results.
3: Yes, yes. Hence my being a purist.
0: <laughs> How do we pull the triggers in a creative way to actually achieve better results mm-hmm. and even more results? I love that. I love that. But is this to say, though, Vanessa, that you're now not doing any of these other traditional things or the old school marketing? Has that all gone away now? Or is that is there still a role for that?
3: No, Chris. They do not go away. I may not be the best person to speak to this, but they don't go away for a myriad of other reasons outside of my control. I do think, however, there is a place. There is a place and there is a time for other non digital channels. But for me, the question that I ask an irritating amount, I'm sure, internally is what's our objective? For me, and I think I'm lucky to be able to say, I know what these channels can do in terms of revenue generating return on investment results oriented. We'll, we'll keep calling them campaigns because it's still more or less a paid effort. So just to make it easy, we'll call it a campaign. I know what they can do. And I love being able to focus on what what's our return. That's not the case necessarily with some of the other mediums, but that doesn't mean that they don't have value either. For me, my objective is performance and generating positive revenue, positive ROI. For others who work with more traditional mediums, that's not necessarily their goal. And that's okay. There are branding, messaging, other PR-related reasons to use a variety of other channels that apply elsewhere, but not necessarily in the work that I directly do and oversee every day.
0: I totally get that because the experience is more than just patient experience is more than just getting them to this final result right it's it's like ensuring that their overall experience is is that much better and ultimately I mean if you think about the Uber result it's that ongoing lifetime loyalty mm-hmm. and is that kind of where your 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 mind is thinking now too is to start to build always on and to always on extending past just patient acquisition
3: as I see it at least for us in this upcoming year it's more or less determining what additional channels or vehicles make sense and having a much more robust and comprehensive approach to marketing automation. Um, that is also, as I see it, an always-on effort depending on how it's executed. In that way, I think what you mentioned earlier about you know the relationship building, sort of loyalty piece of it, that's kind of where I see that coming together on the marketing automation side, but it can't go away from being super focused on results-oriented outcomes unless they put me in a different role than we're having a different conversation.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm glad that they're not going to put you in a different role because this is kind of exciting. And I see this idea, this always-on concept, is starting to be adopted by more and more health systems. And it's coming from a variety of different places and a variety of different um, influences So great to hear your story, the story that you've been on, Vanessa, as you've started to build this. And I'm really excited to see, you know, where you're going to go, where the future is going to go for you. Is there anything else you want to, you want to say to others that maybe, you know, might be considering this?
3: I think one other thing that I would add, that's really important to understand, um, if, let's again, we're going to pick on search if that's the place that you want to start, which I would highly, highly recommend, it's actually working against you if you employ campaigns and short sprints in that particular channel. Because Google has so many integrated tools around AI in its ads platform, you lose the benefit of that learning tool if your campaigns aren't in market going with the flow and the waves of people coming in and out and increases in search volume different times of year. I mean, Google wants to learn about the right time to serve your ad to the right person at the right time. So if you're not in market for longer sprints, you're sort of losing the benefit of that learning mechanism. And you're also going to increase your budget. It's actually going to cost you more because the other benefit is it's learning the best way to optimize the dollars you have available but it needs time and it needs enough of a data set to do that
0: that is a really good point and i won't uh turn this interview you know to the dark side by also saying you're helping Google out
3: better (laughs) to understand
0: you that's another topic for another day and certainly we do want to have you back on um, for another interview and hear a little bit more about your ongoing evolution it's so inspiring to hear kind of how you got to it and how you're you're continually building learning evolving and ultimately producing results for your organization thanks for sharing all that information people that are listening may want to reach out to you and learn a little bit more what's the best way for them to uh, get to know about more about you, your organization, and maybe even connect with you online.
3: I find it incredibly insightful and fun to talk with other professionals who are struggling with the same things and wanting you know, answers and guidance. And I learn from them as well. Um, so I'm completely open to anyone who wants to reach out. The two best ways would be uh, LinkedIn, Vanessa Hughes, V-A-N-E-S-S-A-H-U-G-H-E-S or vanessa.hughes at essentialhealth.org. Email me anytime.
0: Well, we'll definitely link those in the show notes for you. Vanessa, thanks again for your time today and sharing some of the insights. Uh, you're, you're inspiring to many of us in the industry, and I'm I'm glad that we're uh, still connected and still talking about all the, the new things we're doing. Thank you.
3: Yeah, thank you. I'm so happy to be on. I appreciate the opportunity. Hope to do it again soon.
2: At Health Grades, Better Health gets a head start. They help millions of consumers each month to find and schedule appointments with their provider of choice. With their scheduling solutions and advanced analytics applications, they partner with more than 500 hospitals across the country to cultivate new patient relationships, improve patient access, and build customer loyalty. To learn more, visit them online at healthgrades.com. That is healthgrades.com.
0: Once again, thanks to Vanessa Hughes for sharing uh, her insights. I uh, was really excited and uh, to hear how she's evolving her team there at Essentia to develop an always-on strategy. That was a really good use case, a
1: really good example. It's always great uh, to move from kind of the, uh, the theory of it all to uh, the practical uh, application of it. So appreciate her, her smarts and her time. Uh, it was really great. Before we wrap the show up, a quick plug because we didn't do it at the top. Touchpoint.health is the website. Please go out there, check out the other shows, rate, review, subscribe over on Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to be listening. I can't emphasize enough how helpful that is to us and to others. I mean, that's that's legitimately how most people will find this show, is through your recommendations, whether that be word of mouth or otherwise. So thanks for being a supporter. Let us know uh, how we can improve the show, what other topics you'd like to hear from us, things like that. So let's maybe touch on uh, where you can find us in person. Next up is right here in Nashville, right here where I sit. Uh, Shish Med Connections 2019, that's September the 8th through the 11th, is going to be in Nashville this year, so right after Labor Day. Let me know if you're coming. I've, I've got some cool things uh, through the old work that will be going on. I would love to uh, make sure that you're included if you're going to be in town. So anyway, shoot me a note, Twitter or otherwise. Let me know you're going to be here, and I'll make sure uh, you get included on all things Shish
0: Med. You now are the local talent for Shishman there, at least for this year. And speaking of being local, I guess I'm kind of local with the next event, which happens about a month and a couple of weeks after that, which is the 2019 Mayo Clinic Social Media Network Annual Conference right in my own backyard in rochester minnesota rochester in the middle of october is sometimes a little cold so if you're coming bring a jacket take some time out to find you and me read we're both going to be speaking there we're going to be doing a live uh, recording of the
1: podcast in front of a, a captured audience it's going to be a lot of fun Ooh, a captured audience i was wondering how you're going to say that so that's good i like that <laughs> you don't have to bring a jacket You can just use the subway or the sky bridges or whatever. You don't have to go outside the entire time you're there pretty much. But but no, a jacket may be nice because it's refreshing to walk outside in the the crisp air of uh, October 22nd and 23rd in Rochester. Uh, And then finally, you can find both of us in uh, sunny Florida. Hopefully it'll be sunny for the Healthcare Internet Conference November the 4th through the 6th. Uh, We're going to be doing our thing down there. Let us know if you're going to be making it out to one of these. We'd love to uh, connect and uh, even maybe record some sound bites for the show. You never know. Well, before we wrap this one up and call it done, what recommendation do you have for this uh, this week? Reed, I'm going to recommend Netflix series.
0: Just finished season three of Stranger Things, and I cannot recommend it more. I love Stranger Things when it came out. Season two, was a little bit different and it kind of went a different way. Season three just takes it once again over the top in such a great way and there was only eight episodes it was really bingeable but I'm telling you that franchise is just something that you want to keep an eye out for. I loved it we binged it, we finished it up and I just wanted to go back and start all over again from the beginning. So that's my recommendation Um, season three of Stranger Things and I'm looking forward to seasons four and five. I've never seen it you got to go back and watch it, Reed, particularly if you like 80s movies. I'm telling you. All right. You'll love it. There's so many references. In this movie, there's a reference to Magnum P.I. Oh, and man. The Terminator.
1: Oh, well, there you go. All right. I'm going to recommend... This is going to be a little bit broad, but, but hang with me here. Moved across the country. We're in a new house. And so I'm on my kick now to buy all kinds of gadgets. Uh, and I'm trying to pace myself here. I, I really haven't bought all that much, but... One of my staples and one of my go-tos is the Nest uh, thermostat. So I've had that in our last couple of houses, bought a couple of the Nest thermostat E's. They're the kind of the, the simple one, you know, they kind of like the version one, but they're all white. And they kind of, bl- we have white walls. So it kind of blends in it's kind of a cool, cool thermostat. I also have a Nest Cam Indoor. It's what we used for our youngest for a uh, baby monitor versus buying an actual baby monitor. So, but I'm also looking at some of the Google products. So uh, through buying these thermostats, I actually got a free Google Home Mini, that's what it is. Probably also gonna pick up the Nest Hello Doorbell and then I'm also looking where uh, Nest collaborated with Yale, the lock, you know locks for your door, the lock company, to make the little like, keypad that you can put on your door and then you can control it with your phone and kind of lock it remotely and that kind of thing. So, you know, it's kind of a weird kind of hybrid recommendation. I recommend thermostats. The camera's great. Uh, I've heard good things about the doorbell, but if anybody has any feedback, I'd love to hear it. You are turning your home into a smart home, Reed. Yeah. So everybody, you know, so Google track us and listen to us, you know, while we're having dinner and stuff.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Cause the news came out, they are transcribing everything they hear. So.
1: (laughs) Yeah. They probably didn't start with my home. I I don't think there's probably, probably a higher priority that you could, uh, you could track down. So, well, Hey, thanks for, uh, thanks for hanging with us today. Thanks for um, telling a friend. And uh, we'd love to hear from you again. Anything that uh, you'd love for us to talk about on the show, reach out to us. Check out the other shows on the Touchpoint Network at touchpoint.health. For Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.